Dionisio at the plate. He's over two today. Swakowski, the big right hander, lets it go. It's right down Broadway. Dionisio lets it fly, and it's oh, it's raining now. Welcome to another episode of Rain Delay Theater, the podcast where two bums talk about other bums at baseball games. Uh, I'm Jack Swakowski. And I'm Jeremy Dionisio. We have a very special uh, episode uh, here for you today. We're going to introduce a concept we call the worst of fame. Uh, we'll get to that in a little while. But first, this is episode number 102, which means we need our 2002 MLB debuts. Jeremy, who, is, who did you pick for your 2002 MLB debut? Well, Jack, um, I have a I have a combo combo deal here. A um, couple of uh, young uh, or a couple of like uh, like touted third base prospects that debuted uh, in two thousand two. Ooh, okay. Uh, Hank Blaylock and Sean Burrows. Oh man, okay. So I remember Hank Blaylock. I I, re- I remember the name Sean okay. Bur- Sean Burrows. I yeah, he, I do not recall. So Sean Burrows was uh, came up with the Padres. Okay. Um, he's also the son of Jeff Burroughs, who played, I think, in like the 70s, maybe, maybe the, I'm not sure exactly how long Jeff Burroughs' career extended, but um, yeah, let's, 70s to 85, 70 to 85, uh, but so, so Jeff Burroughs was his dad, but Sean Burroughs was the son, um, and uh, he was a ninth overall pick uh, of the Padres in 1998. Uh, Hank Blaylock was um, drafted in the third round of the 99 uh, draft, but they both debuted that year. They were both kind of like talked about as like you know the future third base, uh, you know, hot prospects or whatever. And neither one of them like lived up to their hype at all. Um, Hank Blaylock actually did hang around for a while and actually did put up some kind of like killer home run numbers. But uh, honestly, Hank Blaylock wasn't terrible. But like. Um, in his rookie year in, in 02, he only hit uh, 211 with three homers, and so I think they must have sent him back down. And he came back, and he, he did he did pretty well actually. Uh, Sean Burroughs did not have that turnaround. He um he hit 271 actually in his first year, and and his average numbers are not bad, but like his homer numbers are one homer, seven homers, two homers uh, in his first three years, and that's just like you know as a third baseman that's not going to cut it. Um, and so both were essentially like failed to live up to the hype. Uh, Hank Blaylock definitely like there's probably a reason why you remember him more than Sean Burroughs. He hung around for a while, but um, but yeah, neither one like they they're both kind of coupled together like in their stories and and Blaylock at least kind of put up some good numbers all in all. Yeah, interesting, Jeremy. Um, as I'm looking at it here, uh, yeah, Blaylock looks like he actually did have a couple of couple of pretty decent seasons for the Rangers. I mean, he was definitely an impact player for them for a little while. I mean, he had four straight years of uh, at least 143 games played. I mean, in three straight years of over 150 games played. You're right, he did have some pretty decent home run numbers, hit 153 of them for his career, hit 269, which isn't that bad. Um, yeah, he was, he was just kind of a, uh, I mean, you know, his numbers don't particularly stand out that much in the grand scheme of third baseman, but he was certainly, he, w- he was definitely a competent Big leaguer for uh, for a little while, if not maybe even a little bit above average. Yeah, but Burroughs, though, considering he was the higher draft pick, um, first round, ninth overall, he uh, what a complete bust he was. 
Um, I mean, yeah, 12 home runs for his career spread out over uh, seven major league seasons. And it looks like he went away for a while, too. Um, You know, if I look at his minor league numbers here, he was in the minors a little bit in 2007, and then he didn't play affiliated ball again until 2011. So I don't know if he went over to, uh, you know, Japan or Korea or something and, and played for a little while. Yeah, it uh, doesn't even I, have that on there. So, like, I don't know if he just took four four years of, like, soul searching and then kind of came <laughs> back or something. But, yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, uh, awesome. Dueling, dueling third baseman. I like it. Um, Jeremy, mine is, of course, uh, Francisco Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. There you go. K-Rod. Yeah, good old, good old K-Rod. Uh, debuted in 2002. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, his 62 saves in 2008 were a, a major league single season record. Is that right? Um, has that held up? Uh, I think so. I think it's still the record. Yeah, sure. When he beat Bobby Thigpen. How many did um, Bobby Thigpen have? 57, I want to say. Wow, that's a lot of that's a lot of saves. I mean, you know, 62 62 saves for a team that won. Let me see what the Angels won that year. They won. Well, they won 100 100 games. So. Uh, they they were a good team, um, but 62 saves is is still a lot considering you know the circumstances have to be, uh, you know just right to get a save. If uh, who knows maybe maybe Mark Bubblebath was managing that team. I remember one of <laughs> one of his one of his philosophies is that once a team gets three runs ahead, they should stop at third base and just and just try to preserve <laughs> that save if they're if they're running the bases. Well, that, that would li- that would fall in line with uh, Mitch Mitch Williams, right? According to Len Dykstra. <laughs> yes, it would. Yes, it would. Um, you know, uh, uh, so K Rod he, he spent the tail end of his career uh, with the Brewers. He had some solid seasons for them, but he was also a, a gas can at other times. Um, you know, giving up a lot of home runs in Miller Park, uh, particularly if I recall the 2014 season down the stretch. He gave up uh, 14 homers in 68 innings, which is uh, a lot for a, for a closer. Um, you know, his numbers are interesting, Jeremy. He had a career 286 ERA over 16 years, almost 1,000 innings pitched, and he saved 437 games. So if Billy Wagner has had trouble getting in the Hall of Fame, I don't think it's going to happen for Francisco Rodriguez. But yeah. he definitely might stay on the ballot for a few years. It'll be, it'll be interesting uh, to see how he does when his name gets called for that. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, it, that, that'll be an interesting conversation. And, like, it is weird. Like, I do feel like his end of career kind of marred his overall, like, um, like his career storyline. But, like, honestly, his numbers are not that bad. And, like, um, I mean, yeah, with Milwaukee, he had a 291 ERA. Um, they don't have blown saves on here. Well, they have – do they have save opportunity? No. Um, yeah, I'd have to look a little deeper for, like, blown saves. But um, – but yeah, like uh, really just like, I guess, I, you know, and I'll say this too, like, I guess he had, that's right. He had two stints with the Brewers, right? Uh, yes, he did. That, that was a very weird thing because it, it seemed like he was done with the Brewers in uh, yeah. 2013, but then he went back to them the next year. It was like a, a, a tumultuous, uh, you know, romantic on and off, on again, off again relationship that those, that those teams had. I remember he, uh, he finished his career with the Tigers too. Um, I, I think his like last game pitched was like either the day before or the day after we went to that um, mm. that Tigers uh, uh, Rays oh. game. So yeah, I think in Detroit, yeah, yeah, we we kind of just missed his. Uh, yeah, okay, so yeah, that his last game it was June twenty second, twenty seventeen versus Seattle. That was right around the time that we uh, that we went to that Tigers game. So we just right. we just missed K Rod's last game. You know, we, we would have been we would have seen his last game and Jimmy Rollins' last game, uh, you know, in consecutive seasons. Uh, so that would have been something. And and Nick Swisher, right? 
Or we just saw his last homers. Right? We yeah, we saw his last homer. We saw him hit two home runs in the same game. Uh, from he hit, he hit him from both sides of the plate. From either side of the plate, he hit a homer. I was that is one of the most ridiculous things uh, I think I've seen at a baseball game. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, so Jeremy, a, a few things have uh, happened around the league since uh, the last time we uh, we did a podcast. Um, uh, Francisco Lindor got traded, obviously, to the Mets. That was the big one. Um, mm-hmm. But Liam Hendricks just signed. Uh, I think it was two days ago with the White Sox. So that'll be interesting for them to have him in the back end of their bullpen. Yeah, I mean, uh, a guy who totally kind of came out of nowhere, I think, as like a closer. Um, from what I've seen, I, I did not see too much of him, but, uh, you know, he, he has pretty explosive stuff, but you always wonder, like, how long, like, what the longevity of that is for, for those guys. Um, you know, certainly, like, because I think Liam Hendricks was a starter at some point, um, and I think, you know, when guys give up on starting and just focus on closing, you know, if they, that means that they probably have a better repertoire and maybe um, – can like you know do better things and maybe have a little bit more of longevity in the in the bullpen but like yeah i don't know it's it's hard to say i mean it was a lot of money um mm-hmm. but you know i don't know i you know the whole conversation of like money spent for players like is always like a weird one to me because it's like again it's not like we're spending that money i mean <laughs> i don't know if people like think i don't know how many people think like Oh great! The White Sox just signed this guy to a fifty-six million dollar contract. That means I'm gonna have to pay more for tickets. Like, do they make that sort of like immediate connection? I don't know. I mean, the the biggest thing is like, is it gonna hurt them being able to sign guys in the future? I guess. Um, but the whole money thing is always like kind of a weird, um, kind of you know talking point for me because it's like they're it, it, what how like where does that really where do you really see that you know like. On the back end. No, I, I, I agree. Um, I mean, I, I certainly don't think we're going to be paying $5 instead of $4 for White Sox <laughs> tickets this year. Um, right, we're not paying the White Sox anyway. We're getting them off of some poor <laughs> bastard who, who, signed, who bought season tickets and is just trying to get anything, <laughs> anything <laughs> for them. Could you imagine, like, these guys buy the season tickets and they're like, oh, man, it's like, I'm not going to any of these games. Just I'll take $5 or, like, give me $4 <laughs> for these tickets. Just, just get them out of here. It's like. For that money, wouldn't you just rather just sit on them and like not go through the trouble of listing them? Anyway, it's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, Jeremy, to your point though, I think that um, I mean knowledgeable fans, uh, you know, might think that a contract like Liam H- Hen- Hendricks's uh, might uh, kind of uh, make the organization a little hamstrung as far as uh, you know signing uh, other free agents if it should come yeah. to that. But um, you know, at the same time, I-, I I agree with you. I'm on the same page. Like. I think it's just uh, we're so um, that's such an ingrained thing in our minds to like groan when we hear a big contract number that, yeah. uh, you know, it it's just something that we naturally do. Now, I'll ask you this, um, you know, Craig Kimbrell, they gave Craig Kimbrell a ton of money. And, uh, you know, now that that seems really groan worthy. So, like, how do you you know, how do you feel about like that that contract now? Well, yeah, I mean, that's see, that's that's like I guess that's kind of like I mean, and that's that's even like a, a kind of a mirage or a smoke screen it's like the cubs are crying poor so like of course like if they could get rid of that kimbrel money like on paper that would be good but then it's like knowing the way that they're talking right now would they then would they have then like re you know distributed that money somewhere else um and the bottom line to all of it is that they can't afford 
Craig Kimbrell and you Darvish and whoever else that they want to sign, but they just are saying that they can't. So like, that's a, that's a tricky one. I, I kind of like feel like the, the blame goes back to the Ricketts ownership strategy, but like, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that like, I think it hurts. I, you know, I think maybe if anything, like it makes like your GM look bad or something. It's like, Oh man, he gave him all that money and they didn't need to. But like, but if I don't know. And then, you know, again, I haven't been like a fan of like, a truly small market team like the Rays or the um, the A's or whatever. So I, I don't know. I guess like that's a whole nother conversation. Um, but I, I think if Krim- Kimbrel was doing bad and paying, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say if, but um, with <laughs> doing bad and, and then paying him a lot of money, it's, I probably would be like, well, whatever. That's just money, you know, lost. Uh, like if anything, just get him out of there. I think the biggest thing too, uh, maybe this is, maybe this is a point. It's like when the team commits that much money to a player, they're like less likely to, to like shit can him basically. Sure. And like, quite honestly, it's like sometimes the best thing to do is just to get the guy fuck out of town, you know? Um, Right. So I think if that is a way that the team is hamstrung, like they, they just give him too many chances um, instead of just releasing his ass, then like, that's where I think maybe it can kind of hurt your team. Yeah, definitely. Now, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll say that, first of all, like you said, uh, if, if they weren't paying Kimbrell, would those funds be allocated elsewhere? Just the way that the Cubs are operating right now, no, hell no, those would, they, they wouldn't be spending that money elsewhere, um, uh, unfortunately. I will say this about Hendricks, um, something that kind of would worry me about him if I was a Sox fan, is that his, his best seasons, um, basically his last two years, his best years, uh, have come in Oakland, which is uh, one of the worst hitters parks in the league. He did have a really good year in Toronto in 2015, where he had a 2.92 ERA uh, in about 65 innings. But um, yeah, Oakland is is notoriously a, uh, a pitcher's park. So when now that he's going to a sort of a more of a hitter's park, definitely more of a hitter's park uh, for in for the White Sox, uh, playing half of his games there, it will be interesting to see if those numbers uh, translate to a more hitter friendly ballpark. Yeah, for sure. I also think it's interesting that he started two games as recently as 2019. Um, but uh, but that, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's odd. But um, I guess they were probably using him in more like middle, like long relief and maybe at some point set up duty. But uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that's a valid point. And um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, he's, you know, 31. Uh, he probably should still have a year or two good uh, you know year or two uh years left of, of good baseball but uh who knows with closers it's always so tricky so for sure now we we also kyle schwarber uh also received a one-year 10 million dollar contract with the nationals i think that would that was about two million more than he would have gotten in arbitration uh with the cubs um yeah you know uh i i, I guess that i read that they're going to put schwarber in left field and move soto to right um, you know, I don't think they're going to have the DH next year at this point. Uh, maybe in uh, 2022, after they have the, the new collective bargaining agreement is reached. Uh, uh, but um, so it seems like Schwarber is going to be in the National League again, probably in left field for the Nationals. Yeah, um, I know it's surprising that he went to a, a National League team, uh, but <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah, maybe they're just <laughs> counting on that happening, even though it's a one year contract. So I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe maybe the Nats are hoping like at the All Star break they'll <laughs> they'll install the DH or something, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah I, it'll be it'll be weird to see him uh, in another uniform but uh, 
I guess it's as good that's not in division, I guess. I the fact that that like somehow like Kyle Schwarber is affecting the career of Juan Soto is is odd in some weird, <laughs> you know, abstract way. Um but uh but Juan Soto uh, I'm sure will be great in, in right field. Um so so yeah, interesting. Um it's like, you know, definitive now. I think some people were saying like, "Oh, maybe they'll resign him." And it's like that, you know, that was not going to happen, but now it's definitive and so we can move on and uh, the Cubs can continue to strip away pieces from the 2016 uh, World Series team, and and that'll be that, I guess. Well, one last big signing: uh, the Brewers signed Daniel Robertson. <laughs> yes, one last big signing. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's like been at least two Daniel Robertsons operating in the league uh, within the last five years. This is the one from the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, it's not so yeah, the one we talked about on episode 99. No, no. Um, yeah, so uh, this is uh, uh, this Daniel Robertson is a utility infielder. I think the Brewers signed him to a one-year deal, uh, so they continue to just like get players from the bargain bin. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really understand it. Like they have Christian Yelich under a long-term contract in his prime, and like you know, I yeah. guess they're counting on him and Avi Garcia and Omar Narvaez to be like you know the guys. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So Daniel Robertson uh, seems pretty similar to the Brock Holt signing of last year. So I guess we'll see if he makes the club and, and has an impact. Yeah. Just, um, you know, if you're Daniel Robinson, if you're playing second base and you go out for a shallow pop fly, just make sure you don't run into Christian Yelich and injure him. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Jeremy, I think it's time to introduce our concept for this week, which is uh, called the worst of fame. Um, this was something right. that uh, started off just as kind of a joke uh, in a previous <laughs> podcast a little while ago, just about guys who've been around for who were around for a really long time uh, and sucked, but somehow managed to uh, uh, keep hanging around. Now for the the players, believe, uh, oh go I, ahead, Jeremy. Jack, I believe it was like a malprop. Like, did you say, did you accidentally say worst of fame or like, or were we we were saying like some like that guy shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. He should be in the worst of fame or something. Yeah, I, I think it was Jeremy. I think it was like a malapropism, a dogberryism, if you will, if you're into Shakespeare. Um, I think it was. Uh, I think it was something like something like that, right? Where it's kind of a. a you know, and I aired uh, while I was speaking, but uh, it, it turned into a, a whole thing. Um, so we, we figured we would make an inaugural ballot for the, uh, for the worst of fame. Now, the, the, the criteria is very similar to what it is for the actual Hall of Fame ballot. The guy had to play in the league for a, a minimum of 10 seasons, and he had to be retired for a, a minimum of uh, five, five years. Uh, so yeah. this is guys who would have retired in 2015 or, uh, or before that. Um, so yeah, it, theoretically, these are all guys who could have appeared on a Hall of Fame ballot since they were around for 10 years, um, and probably maybe even did. Um, I'm not sure, is everybody who lasted 10 years in the league, do they all just get, uh, do they all get on the Hall of Fame ballot, or are they selective about that? You know, I, I don't know. I, I was under the impression that everyone did get on, but, but then you start to think, like, well, how could everyone who retired five years ago be on the ballot because you see the ballot and it's not not it's never that crazy big you know it's maybe like no. 25 guys or something so like there must be some other like uh thing there but i don't you know that that was not part of my research for this week no so. same um and you know i will say that you're right it never looks very crazy but there's not a lot of guys who lasted 10 years in the majors right. that's it's pretty impressive to last that long and honestly i think it's doubly impressive if you're looking at guys like we did it's it's doubly impressive to last in the league for a long time and be you know be on the wrong side of uh bad 
you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. That it made it challenging to pick these guys. Um, because yeah, I'd find a guy and then be like, Oh damn it. He only lasted eight years or something like even eight years seems like a long time for a quote unquote bad guy. But, um, but yeah, like, so, so that was, that made it interesting. Um, Jack, I, cannot remember if we talked about this. I'll preface by saying we may have talked about this on the podcast, but years ago I had a bad league, mm-hmm. uh, a fantasy baseball league where I, where I created it to award bad performances. Um, and so this was probably in like the late aughts maybe. So like, I think like, I just remember like Brandon Inge <laughs> was a big mm. guy in the league and, um, uh, you know, and so like, um, the thing about it though, was that like, you know, you, you didn't, you wanted to pick a guy who was bad, but you didn't want to pick a guy who was so bad that he was going to get sent down on the minors or benched or whatever, because there were counting stats as well. So it, having to, to evaluate someone who's bad yet is still playing and active, like is, is kind of like a, it's, it's kind of a nuanced, uh, you know, uh, ar- argument basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, not only do you have to look at how they're doing, but like, who are the other guys on the team? Who do they have in the minor leagues? Who, who might they like are free agents that they could sign? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot. There's a lot of it that uh, goes into play. Um, now, also for something here, uh, what I noticed, Jeremy, as I was looking through this list um, is that like the guys who lasted the longest, who were bad for the longest time or there's three groups of players. Uh, there's pitchers, pitchers who are fourth and fifth starters, of which we'll see a few in a moment. There's uh, utility infielders. Um, like backup utility infielders, uh, those guys tend to last for a really long time. Uh, you know, we, both of us had a couple of guys like that on the list. And we, I think we both kind of actively avoided the third option that I'm going to say, um, backup catchers. Backup catchers last forever in the big leagues. Um, it's not uncommon for a guy like, you know, Chad Kruder or, uh, you know, uh, he was just the first one that came to mind, but he was one of the guys that I was looking at. You know, he probably played 15 years in the major leagues, but, uh, you know, he never hit better than about, or, you know, his career average was under 230, I think. So, and there's just a, there's just a ton of guys like him. I think Drew Butera is another one. He's currently playing, but his, his career average is under 200, and he's been around for about 10 years. So backup catchers, there's just an abundance of them that suck, and they were around for a long time. But I think we both kind of went out of our way to avoid uh, – avoid selecting any of those guys for our five selections for the initial ballot. Yeah. And I guess we didn't talk about that either. So like we, we each were able to select five guys mm-hmm. uh, for a total of 10 to be on mm-hmm. the ballot, but we each selected, selected five. So we, we had to be selective with our <laughs> selections. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, I think, you know, the, the backup catcher is kind of like the low hanging fruit a little bit. Like I think uh, y- y- last year, two years ago, we did like the worst player on uh each playoff roster and we we avoided like backup catchers just because that you know uh empirically could be you know argued that they are the the worst person on the on the pitching or on the uh, roster but they also serve a purpose that's why they're there so um so yeah so just kind of some of that same criteria in this selection process as well um so we have 10 players so we each we each chose five so 10 players for the initial ballot um, what we're going to do is we're going to name each of the guys we, uh, we selected, and then we're going to reveal who we voted for. Now, each, each one of us, uh, Jeremy and I, we both got four votes. The reason for that is when the Veterans uh, Committee gets together uh, you know, every year during the Hall of Fame selection process, uh, they are allowed to, each one of those guys is allowed to vote for four uh, players um, who have fallen off the ballot and they're trying to kind of uh, make good uh, you know, uh, for those players. The, the BBWAA, 
uh, typically gets uh, 10 votes. They're able to vote for 10 guys in the ballot. That was just too many for us. So uh, we're going to do it the veteran, Veterans Committee style um, since, hey, these guys are no longer on the ballot anyway, and each of us uh, is going to vote for four guys. Yep. So um, a, a potential of four can make it in in this class. Yep. Um, and so similar to, like, the regular Hall of Fame voting, if, if players get, what do they need, 5% of the ballot to stay or To, to stay, to stay on. on, yep. Yeah, so so for us, um, if if a player receives one vote uh, out of two, they will stay on the ballot for next year. But um, if not, they will drop off um, and just be considered um, bad, but not <laughs> bad enough. Like, but so bad that they weren't in the the worst of fame. So yeah, um, and if a guy gets two votes, if we we both happen to vote for him, uh, then he is he is in the inaugural class of the uh, of the worst of fame uh jeremy and i we do not know who each other voted for so yep. there's going to be a little bit of suspense uh, as far as that goes uh it's it, there it's very possible that nobody is going to get into the <laughs> uh the first class of the worst of fame so it'll be kind of like i think it was like the 1950s and 60s it was like they were just not voting anybody into the hall of fame um so who knows maybe it'll be like that uh jeremy let's start with your five players uh who did you pick for your inaugural ballot all right well um I'm trying to think of like a, a fun way to, to introduce these guys. Um, but I'll just, I'll just lead off at the top with a heavy hitter here. Um, so my first uh, selection for the, for the ballot of worst of fame is Corey Patterson. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, no surprise there as a Cubs fan, Corey Patterson. Um, we talked about it on episode 100 with Mark Gentile, uh, just a frustrating player. I was maybe even sugarcoating it a little bit. I just, he, he sucked. Like he was just like disappointing, struck out all the time. Like, just never like never lived up to the the um uh the hype around him uh just as far as numbers go uh he um is a 9.7 career war uh player um you know played 12 years uh seemed to like his time in baltimore a little more than chicago like he kind of like had a good year like the year he left the cubs so like definitely like a change of scenery type of thing but like if you look at the rest of his career, not not so great, and uh, he lasted 12 seasons. Um, so Corey Patterson is my uh, first selection. All right, uh, yeah, oft talked about, uh, often uh, lamented on this podcast, Corey Patterson. Yeah. Um, all right, yeah, who you got for number two? Uh, number two, I have Mike Mordecai. Mm, okay, yeah, I remember Mike Mordecai. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so a guy who um, was on two World Series uh, teams, played in two World Series. Um, he lasted 12 years. Um, he's listed as a pinch hitter, which is never a good sign on <laughs> reference. Um, pinch hitter, third baseman, second baseman. Um, he was ultimately selected in the sixth round of the 89 draft um, by the Braves uh, out of uh, South Alabama. Um, played, like I said, played 12 years uh, with the Braves, Expos, and Marlins. Um, if you look at the numbers, they are wholly unremarkable. Um, I don't know where he ranks in terms of position or of pinch hitters um, in terms of numbers. Like, you know, obviously Lenny, Lenny, uh, Lenny Harris, Harris, Lenny Harris is the king of the pinch hitters. Um, So, you know, I don't know if Mike Mordecai was in the same conversation there in terms of a pinch hitter, but uh, for a guy who hung around for 12 years, uh, numbers are, you know, not good. Um, And you'd think that you could find other guys who could pinch hit, (laughs) you know, Um, (laughs) yeah. At some point, but you know, I don't know if this guy was just like on the Rolodex of every GM or something that they they like 
thought to bring him in, but he lasted also many years with each franchise he, he was with. So kind of an oddity there. Um, I remember Mike Mordecai, um, Jack, if you remember, you probably won't remember this, but um, Mike Mordecai made the first out in the eighth inning of game six of the 2003 NLCS between the Cubs and the Marlins. Wow. So he was like the one guy who didn't get a hit in that inning. Well, he he would come back to bat around again and then get like a, a back-breaking double. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he did he, – he made that first out. And so, like, you know, that was five outs away. Like, that, he was like the, the sixth out away from, from a World Series uh, berth for the Cubs. Um, and then the shit hit the proverbial fan. The proverbial shit hit the proverbial fan. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, yeah, he, yeah, he did get like a, a – I'm trying to pull it up here really quick, but uh, he got a, a back-breaking double, I believe, like a two-run double maybe in, sure. in 03, uh, or I mean in that in later on in that inning. So, um, so yeah, it uh, he ended up getting his pound of flesh in that in that inning, I guess. <laughs> um, that's yeah, an interesting. A, oh, go ahead. Oh no, he's on the list. That's all I was gonna say. Sure, that uh, that's an interesting trivia question, Jeremy. I actually, despite having rewatched the 2003 inning, uh, you know, maybe two years ago, I do not remember him making that first out. Uh, but I like it. And you mentioned, uh, yeah, you mentioned Lenny Harris. Um, I remember Lenny Harris was on the Brewers, and like they would always make a big deal about like how he was the all-time pinch hits leader. And it's like, who cares? Who cares about like? <laughs> that's so lame, man. Like that just means he, he. That just means he's never been good enough to be a starter. Yeah. Um, that's like being the all-time, you know, home minor league home run leader, the, the G- NBA G League's all-time leading scorer. It's like it's not necessarily something, you know, you would a, a record you would really want. Um, all right, Mike Mordecai, I like it. Yep. Um, all right, third up on my list is Ty Wigginton. Mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a guy, just kind of like a a lumbering kind of just kind of wide dude who like just stuck around. He stuck around for 12 years in the majors. I came up with the Mets, spent some time with um, uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Pittsburgh, Houston, Baltimore, Colorado, Philadelphia, and St. Louis. Uh, So he bounced around a a, a lot. Um, He is a career 2.9 war. Uh, So for, again, for a guy who stuck around for 12 years, um, surprisingly, yeah, 2.9 war for his career. Um, that was kind of my, like, um, first starting point was trying to look at like war guys, like low war guys with versus like years played. Sure. Ty Wigington was, was someone who kind of popped up there really quick. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, you know, he, he's on the list, um, of, of finalists. Uh, just, I was surprised that he, he lasted as long as he did, but, um, and especially yeah. uh, like playing uh, playing a lot and playing two like primary power positions like uh, first base and third base were his primary uh, positions. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know usually you expect a, a guy like who plays a lot at those positions to be a better hitter, but he was not. Yeah, yeah, just kind of just kind of bleh, I guess a little bit. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, fourth on my list I have, uh, and he's a first year eligible uh, for the worst of fame. Uh, on the ballot first year on the ballot uh first year eligible jason marquis mm-hmm. um jason marquis uh lasted 15 years in the league um he actually you know like he he pitched with the padres in 2013 then did not pitch in 14 but came back in 2015 uh where jack did we see him pitch or did i see him pitch on my own i can't remember. uh we, i think we saw him start uh, like a game of that double header 
Yes, exactly, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, we saw him in his in his uh, farewell farewell run. So, like, I think we probably talked about that on our uh, before the podcast uh, double episode that we did some months back. Um, career four sixty one ERA, Jack um, has a has a plus has a positive winning per, like uh, record one twenty four and one eighteen, but a four sixty one um, career ERA. Um, where's the whip? I want to find the the whip uh, is a career one forty four uh, whip. That's uh, really so, bad. Letting yeah. a, letting a guy in a and a half on base per inning. Yeah, yeah, it's up there. So, um, led the. 2006 with the Cardinals um, <laughs> was 14 and 16, led the league in losses, earned runs, and home runs allowed. And then the Cubs thought it would be a good idea to sign him as a free agent. <laughs> so he spent some years with the Cubs there. Yeah, and he got a he got a ring and probably pitched in the World Series in that 2006 season with St. Louis too, despite being that awful. They won in 06, right? Um, yes, yeah, I believe so. Um, wow, yeah, that was an exceedingly bad year for him. Yeah, I like uh, I like Marquis on this list. I think it's a good one. Yeah, very very solid uh, pick, and I think he was also like a, a sought after guy in the bad league as well, um, if I remember correctly. Nice, and I will say it's a, it's a disgrace that uh, he's just becoming eligible this year. He there's no <laughs> way he, he should not have have lasted that long. I know, hard to believe. Five years ago, he was he was still towing the rubber in the major leagues. Um, so my last guy on the, on the, uh, on my five, uh, is another first year eligible guy. Um, and that is, I guess another kind of like utility guy, uh, also listed as a pinch hitter. Number one on uh, baseball reference, um, is Jeff Baker, uh, former Rocky, former cub, um, former ranger, um, and some other teams, the, the, the Marlins for a couple years, the Braves, um, he is a career 1.1 war um, over 11 seasons, uh, 54 career homers, 264 batting average, um, OPS 750. Um, so, yeah, you know, uh, it, it's you look at the numbers and they're just not great. He he played four years in Colorado and managed to not put up even impressive numbers there. Maybe five years in Colorado, uh, like his highest average. Um, in Colorado, well, he played like one season with over a hundred, um, uh, at bats, and he he hit two sixty eight, which for Colorado is is not is not super overwhelming. It's not you know it's it's a bit underwhelming. Um, so so yeah, like uh, stuck around for a while. Um, but uh, but first year eligible, uh, Jeff Baker, he's on the uh, ballot for this year. I like it, Jeremy. Um, yeah, those are pretty five sol- uh, five pretty solid selections. Um, and yeah, I, I certainly had my hands full trying to you know pick from yours and, and mine. There were some tough some tough choices to be made there. Um, all right, so I'll uh, I'll go if it's all the same to you, Jeremy. I'll give you my five now. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, so um, the first guy I have is Jeff Supan. Uh, this guy is one of the, you know, I think just a couple podcasts ago we were talking about how bad this guy was for how long. Yeah. Uh, he pitched a, a total of uh, uh, 17 years in the major leagues. Uh, his career ERA was 4.70. 
in uh, almost 2,600 innings. So he was, uh, you know, consistently very bad. Uh, his career record is 140 and 146. So he finished six games under uh, for his career. And his career whip was uh, kind of right about where, uh, where Jason Marquise was. It was 1.461. So he was just really consistently bad for a very long time. And he pitched a lot, too. He had a lot of se- Most of his seasons were over 180 innings pitched. He even had, quite a- he even had about six or seven with over 200 innings pitched. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 staggering. Um, some of his numbers. Uh, you like to see in in this conversation. You like to see that he had a sub five hundred uh, win loss record for his career. That's always nice. Um, and uh, mm. yeah, just God, that that the the ERA is staggering. I, I have to say, it is. Um, and I'm gonna give you another picture here, real quick. Um, another one with a pretty staggering ERA. Um, uh, Pedro Estacio. Uh, he pitched for uh, 15 years from 1992 to 2006 with the Dodgers, Rockies, a uh, little bit with the Astros, the Mets, the Red Sox, uh, the Rangers, Jesus Christ, the Padres, and the Washington <laughs> yeah. Nationals. So yeah, Pedro Astacio was all over the place, uh, actually, as was Jeff Supon, former Royal, former Boston Red Sox, former Brewer. Um, yeah, so both of these guys were, were career, uh, were journeymen who um, you know, would maybe stay in a place for a couple, you know, two, three years and then move on. Um, uh, Pedro Astacio, his career was, was pretty average in his first five years with the Dodgers. Um, he was just kind of an average pitcher. His ERA was usually over four, but then he fell off a cliff when he went to Colorado as tends to happen. Um, you know, he had, had, let's see, let me count these here. He had one, two, three, four, five, uh, five straight seasons, um, or four and parts of another season, uh, of having an ERA over five in Colorado. Uh, in 1998, he pitched 209 innings, and his ERA was 6.23. So uh, that's dreadful. I mean, that was the heart of the steroid era in Colorado. But like, geez, dude, even 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 so, like you know, maybe try to keep it together a little bit better than that. Um, but even when he left Colorado, he was never really very good. Uh, in 2005, he pitched 126 innings at a 4.69 ERA. In 2002, with the Mets, he pitched 191 innings at a 4.79. ERA. So, you know, no matter where this guy went, he wasn't very good. His career ERA was 4.67, so just a little bit lower than Supon's. Uh, his career record was a little bit better, 129 and 124. Uh, but yeah, he was, he was consistently bad. He sucked for a long time, and he led the league in, he led the league in home runs allowed uh, in three different seasons. Pretty, pretty, pretty abysmal uh, numbers there, Jack. And, um, You'll be happy to know, I'm sure you'll be happy to know this, he made $40 million in his career also. <laughs> <laughs> I was just, I was actually just scrolling down to see how much he had made. Um, yeah. I'm sure Jeff Supon probably made a little bit more, but yeah, uh, 40, 40 million, so he's uh, he's sitting pretty right now wherever he is. Um, yeah. Honestly, Jeff Supon, I looked them both up while you were talking, Jack. Jeff Supon made $58.1 million. Um, so for $12 million more, honestly, if I'm Jeff Supon, I'm pissed about that because like I as as I don't like I don't know like Pedro Stasio is they're both on the list for a reason I almost feel like Supan like had the more encompassing career and for only 12 million dollars more I feel like he wasn't <laughs> properly compensated for that so if I'm Supan I'm a little mad if hearing about that Astacio I mean as as anyone would be I think the only people not disgusted by the amount of money that Astacio made are probably his his children. Um, <laughs> so, but uh, but yeah, like uh, that's sta- again staggering. These things are staggering, folks. Yeah, indeed. Um, okay, my next guy is uh, Bill Hall. Um, yes. So yeah, Bill Hall. 
he uh, he had kind of a, a strange career. Uh, he played from 2002 to 2012. He played uh, 11 years uh, in the big leagues. Um, he had one. He had one good year. He had one good year for the Brewers in 2006. He had 35 home runs and 85 RBIs. After which, I think the Brewers signed him to a pretty big uh, deal, and he just he completely fell apart after that. Um, the Brewers were ex- they were like ex- after he had that year, they were kind of expecting him to be a guy that they yeah. could rely upon because um, 2006 was kind of right when they were coming out of the uh, out of that just horrible uh, era where they just. Uh, we're just a losing team year after year. Prince Fielder was coming up. They had Ryan Braun in the minor leagues, who was about to come up the next season. Um, they had Corey Hart, J.J. Hardy. So they had some uh, they had some promising young players, and I think they thought that Bill Hall, who was only 26 at the time he had that 35-homer season, was going to be maybe another guy that they could rely on during this uh, little surge they were going to make once they got all these guys up and they had all blossomed into big leaguers. But it didn't happen. He went from 35 homers in that season to 14 the next year and 15 the year after that. Well, his batting average kept getting lower. Um, yeah, he had 270 in that good season he had. It dropped to 254 and 225. And then in 2009, uh, split between Milwaukee and Seattle, where he was traded, his average dropped to 201. Um, so it was yeah. he was just he just kind of became an unplayable guy. Uh, his his career average was 248. Um, he hit 125 home runs in his career. 35 of them came in that one season. Um, and yeah, he was just a guy who was like a huge disappointment. And for, a, you know, we talked about this a little bit before, but for a small, for a small market team like the Brewers to give a guy like Bill Hall, uh, you know, a pretty, pretty big size contract, uh, that, you know, that, that was something that made Brewers fans pretty angry. Yeah. Uh, rightfully so. Um, yeah, I just, as a Cubs fan, like playing against Bill Hall, like in, in the division for many years, like he just seemed like an automatic strikeout guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> like when he would come up, like I remember just, you know, if there was ever a tense moment in a Cubs game and you saw Bill Hall coming up, like you kind of felt like, okay, well they'll get, they're going to get out of this, you know, strike <laughs> this guy out or something. Um, just let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, seven consecutive years of a uh, hundred plus strikeouts. Um, you know, I, Nowadays, it's probably not that unheard of, but it, it stands out to me here just looking at his numbers. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely like a guy who, uh, yeah, like I, I like what you said there. He became unplayable. Yeah, and I mean, not only did he strike out Jeremy, um, but he uh, he didn't walk either. I mean, his his walk to strikeout ratio is is pretty awful. I mean, two thousand four, he struck out one hundred nineteen times. He walked twenty times. Um, you know, like he never sixty three walks was his high. That was the 35 homer year. But, yeah, this guy just never drew walks. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, not exactly Albert Pujols when it comes to walks and strikeouts for sure. Yeah. Um, next guy is Kevin Elster. Uh, that's a little <laughs> bit more of an old school one. He was more of a guy from the late 80s and early 90s. He debuted in 86. He actually managed to last all the way up to 2000. Um, played parts of uh, 13 seasons in the major leagues. Uh, he had a career average of 228, uh, which is which is dreadful. He was a, a shortstop by trade, as Brian Anderson would say. Um, he uh, and yeah, he he was an everyday player for a couple different teams in '88 and '89 with the Mets. He played 149 and 151 games, and then oddly, uh, even though he hadn't had a good year in in uh, over half a decade in 1996 with Texas, 
He had one good season. He played 157 games. <laughs> he hit 24 home runs, drove in 99 runs, and uh, he hit 252, which for him was good. But that season is just a complete anomaly. Like, there's no, there's no uh, telling where that came from. 24 home runs. He never hit more than 10. Or I should say uh, he hit 14 for the L.A. Dodgers in 2000. But 24 home runs and 99 RBIs for a guy like that, I just I don't understand it other than he was probably doing steroids that one year. Well, I was gonna. I just I just pulled up the '96 uh, Rangers roster, and they had Ivan Rodriguez, they had Juan Gonzalez, um, Mickey Tettleton. I don't know, maybe. Um, you know. Yeah, they had Dean was... pa- Dean Palmer. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, he, he probably a steroid guy. Dean Palmer may have been a steroid guy. I always liked Dean Palmer, though. Yeah, I me too. Um, actually, but uh, but yeah, I so I don't know. They also had the uh, what was his name? The preacher Warren Newson. <laughs> Oh, no, it was the the Deacon, right? The Deacon, that's it. Yeah, the Deacon. Yeah, he was on that team for no too, for no for no apparent reason. I you know, we I don't think we ever found out why no. they call him the Deacon. But no, uh no. <laughs> Um okay, and my last guy is Nick Nick Punto. Uh yeah. the oft uh, oft lamented Nick Punto. I the think shredder. every fan Yeah, the Shredder, I think. The shredder. <laughs> why did they call him that? Uh, yeah, I was gonna say great, great moniker to have uh, connected to your name as the guy who ripped off jerseys of player, like who started the 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 tr- stupid trend of ripping, like tearing a jersey. Like that was his thing. Like he, his like his um his, his like goal, his like mo was when a guy got a walk off hit, he would like try to run out and and rip the jer- jersey into shreds. So that's why they called him Shredder. Like. But it- yeah, yeah. Um, that's. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think he'd like to be. I, I don't think Jose Altuve would have wanted to be teammates with him. I, I was gonna say, like, you know, say what you will about the Altuve thing, but it's like, you know, like jerseys from like I, Jack. You've never been to the Hall of Fame, right? Uh, I have not. Yeah, you know, you go to the Hall of Fame and there's like jerseys in there from like this was the jersey that Pete Rose, or maybe not Pete Rose, but like this is the jersey that like Tony Gwynn hit was wearing in his last hit with the Padres. This is the jersey top that you know Nolan Ryan was wearing when he won uh, his, um, you know, when he threw his like fifth no hitter or something. And it's like you know, so someone gets like a, a a career accomplishment, and then this fucking little turd runs on the field and tears up his jersey. It's like, okay, cool, thanks. You're a fucking loser. <laughs> I know we were supposed to be like objective during this part, but like you're a fucking little shrimpy loser, bench warmer, and you're gonna go tear destroy the jersey of the star of the team because he did something good. Like, what a fucking joke. <laughs> hey Jeremy, and I'll I'll tell you this: like if if you've ever had somebody like rip your shirt. Uh, on accident, like it, it, it really pisses you off. Uh, one time I was in rehearsal for this awful play that I'm not going to name, and the actress who was the lead actress was just crazy. She was fucking crazy, and I hated her. Um, but we were in rehearsal, and then uh, it was just a rehearsal. It was just a fucking rehearsal, and she like grabbed my shirt and like ripped it. Um, and I was <laughs> like, I was like, what the fuck? And so, like after after like the scene ended, she was like, "Oh my gosh, like you know, I'll I'll pay to replace your shirt or whatever." I was just like, "Just fucking forget about it." But like you know, <laughs> it was just like you know, I, I could only imagine if that upset me that much. Like you know, I I can only imagine being teammates with Nick Punto. Well, shit, Jeremy, I didn't know I didn't know the Shredder story. Like I would have I would have you know maybe considered Nick Punto a little bit more in my voting process there if I would have known if I would have yeah. known that. Um, as far as raw numbers go. Uh, he had a 245 uh, career batting average. Um, uh, he, he he liked he fancied himself a base dealer apparently, but he was not good at it. 
Um, <laughs> in 2007, he, uh, he stole 16 bases, but he was caught six times. 2008, 15 stolen bases, caught six times. 2005, 13 stolen bases, caught eight times. So uh, yeah, he would he would steal uh, he would attempt a lot of steals, but he, he would get he would get caught enough times. Uh, hit for almost no power. Never hit more than four home runs in a season. Yeah. Um, and uh, in in two thousand seven for Minnesota, he played in one hundred fifty games, had almost five hundred at bats, and he hit two ten. So even when he was given a chance to become a regular player, uh, he sucked. He was he was no good. Um, uh, so yeah, Nick Punto uh, played for the Phillies, uh, Twins, Red Sox, Dodgers, and the Oakland A's, and a little bit with the Cardinals too. He was a, again another journeyman, another utility infielder, played second, third, and short most of the time, and uh, he uh, he just wasn't any good. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I do not remember the uh, Phillies uh, chapter of his career. I know Neither do mostly as a Twin and a Cardinal. Yeah, neither do I. And yeah, just for the record, uh, he lasted four parts of 14 seasons in the major leagues, Nick Punto. So those are our, our 10 guys. Um, and I think now it's time for us to reveal who we voted for. So Jeremy, do you want to go first and say who you voted for? Yeah, I think maybe we can do this like one by one, maybe. Like, sure. Maybe we can alternate two and I'll yeah. just say like one of my selections and then you can tell me if, if you voted for him as well. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. All right, let's do it. Um, so... With my first vote, I voted for Bill Hall. Beautiful, dude. Okay, okay. I uh, I also there you go. Voted for I also voted for Bill Hall. Bill Hall, uh, the inaugural member of the Worst of Fame. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Yeah, Bill Hall. I mean, like just for those reasons I said earlier, Jack. Like he just seemed like like an like an automatic out kind of like Ed, this is coming from a Cubs fan and I think this is interesting I'll also say there might be some observations uh, about who we voted for at the end which I'll save for then but um you know as a guy who you saw as a Brewers fan and who I saw as a Cubs fan like I think we kind of had the same conclusion that this guy sucked and like yeah I think it's 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 too bad that he had like that that one year and just couldn't capitalize on it but I mean I just like I put him in the same category as uh it was Ricky Weeks, right? With the with the yep. Brewers. Yep, Ricky yeah, Weeks, like, absolutely. Yeah, like those two guys are just like futile like contributors to to a team and yeah, as a Cubs fan, I was just always like, "All right, thank you. Bill Hall's up now, you know, like he can get out of this inning." Yeah, um and you know, I I think so this was an interesting thing that came up with another player on this list that I was evaluating, but like um, you know, how much do the raw numbers come into play and how much do like the circumstances uh do sure. other circumstances from their career? come into play like the Brewers gave Bill Hall for him I, I don't remember what the deal was but it was like a multi-year deal worth probably at least about 20 million dollars and he was a complete bust um, which which made people a lot angrier uh, you know at him he had one good year so it made it seem like he was gonna be something and then he just completely collapsed so I think all of those things um, you know contributed to him uh, you know being a lot uh, just a lot more maligned by Brewers fans than he uh, you know than he otherwise maybe would have been he might have just like faced into obscurity as as just a guy um another thing though jeremy too i think is that um you know and this is you know we've talked about on this podcast and in our interview with mark gentile um and even a little bit today like when a guy is a high draft pick uh and the team invests more money in him whether that's as a free agent or as like a signing bonus for a draft pick like they'll give him a lot more chances like bill hall is absolutely an instance where they gave the guy a lot of money so they just kept they kept getting giving him chances, and they kept trying to like run him out there. Um, 
Uh, and it's just just to no avail. He always sucked. Uh, we're seeing that right now with like the Baltimore Orioles and Chris Davis. They're just it's a sunk cost, but they just keep trying to like run him out there and turn him into something. And for for Bill Hall and the Brewers, like that was definitely the case uh, for him as well after he signed his deal. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just it's frustrating from a fan standpoint and, and crippling from a team standpoint. So, uh, yeah, so that's great, Bill Hall. You're in the worst of fame. Nice, I like it. All right, who you got next, Jeremy? Well, do you want to do you want to really sure reveal something yeah that you voted for I will um, okay so uh, Jeremy I voted for Ty Wigginton oh man Jack I did not vote for Ty Wigginton okay so Ty Wigginton will not make it but let me tell you why I uh, why I voted for him so um, so Jeremy like I mentioned to you uh, the three three types of guys that kept coming up for me as I was looking through this list were uh, fourth, fifth starters, utility infielders, and uh, backup catchers. I was having a lot of problems finding a guy who played like first and third base primarily in okay. his career, sucked for a long time, uh, but stayed around. Because for the most part, like those are, those are two positions where if you're not producing offensively, especially first base, but also third base, if you're not doing well offensively, um, you're just, you're not going to stick around. But somehow Ty Wigginton managed to fly under the radar and yeah. stick around for a really long time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Like, I mean, perhaps the war is what got me, what got him on the ballot for me, like a 2.9 war over, uh, 12 seasons is crazy. Like, you know, that's a counting stat. So that means like whenever time, whenever he had like a good war year, it was negated by a negative war year. So like, <laughs> it's crazy. Like he had, um, in 2008, he had a 2.2 war, which means that his number came down like, you know, like it obviously was at a certain point after the 08 season. And then it came, it came down from there. Like he had uh, like a negative 0.6 year, negative 0.8 year, negative one. Uh, so, you know, he, he cost the team a game by being in, in the in the lineup uh, in 2012. He had a negative 1.4 war Oof. For, for the 12 for the 2012 Phillies. He also played 125 games that year. So it's like the guy cost him his team, you know, two like like one and a half wins by just trotting him out there every day, uh, you know, according to the the saber metrics. But yeah, I, it's it's kind of fascinating. Like his, his numbers, like he had several years of double digit homers. He's a two sixty one career batting average. That's maybe why I didn't vote for him at the in the, at the end of the day. Um, but but you're right that like for a guy for like a corner infielder. Um, to to stick around and and you know just be generally underwhelming uh is uh is is an is a feat i guess yeah sure and i i think that so at looking at wigginton's uh you know fielding stuff here uh he played a, a 1284 career games so i'm almost 1300 career games um he played 683 of them at third base and 336 of them at first base, so that's just about a thousand. A thousand of his thirteen games were played at either third or first base. So two two primary offensive positions uh, is really where he spent the bulk of his career. Uh, I have a theory, Jeremy, that if a guy sticks around for long enough, he'll usually make at least one All Star team. You see, yep. you see it a lot. You know, I'm sure as you were looking through guys, it's like you know, I can't believe this guy made an All Star team in this year. Uh, in 2010, Ty Wigginton did make the all-star team, but his numbers in the, it must've just been because everybody else on the Orioles sucked because his yeah. numbers in the first half of that year, he hit 252 with 14 home runs and he made the all-star team as a first baseman for the Orioles. Now, Jeremy, if you're, if, if in, in now in the year 2021, if you're playing first base for a team and at the all, 
All-Star break, you're hitting 252 with 14 homers. Like, you're, they're going to, you know, your team is going to be shopping for another first baseman. Like, your, your ass is on its way to being DFA'd. Um, so those are just, you know, in his one All-Star season, like, those were his numbers. So, you know, even though you could say, well, yeah, you know, Ty Wigginton did make an All-Star team. Like, uh, his numbers that season when he made the All-Star team were not good, and that Orioles team lost 96 games. Uh, so, yeah, Ty Wigginton was my vote, uh, but he will remain on the ballot, um, you know, next year. So uh, who knows, man? Maybe his case will pick up some steam by the next time we do this. He could be an Edgar Martinez type of uh, Tim Raines type of guy, um, you know, if we dig deeper into the numbers. Um, yeah, it looks like he was, just as a cursory glance of the uh, 2010 All-Star roster, it looks like he was the lone representative for the Orioles, if I'm looking at that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So, yeah, you know, that the rule that everyone has to make it. Um, Jack, you know what would be a fun uh, uh, episode to do in the future is to pick, like, the worst guy on every All-Star team or some something like that, you know, to that, go through All-Star rosters. That Yeah, okay, that yeah, that would be great because there are, there are at least one – there's at least one guy like that every year. Like, I think in 2006, Mark Redman made the All-Star team for the uh, Kansas City Royals uh, despite having just an awful uh, – Awful season. Yeah, Mark Redman, 2006 Kansas City Royals, made the All-Star team. His ERA was 571 that year, uh, and he was 11-10. and 10, uh, And he made the All-Star team for that season, uh, inexplicably. So, um, uh, yeah, that would, be a, that would be a good one, Jeremy. Um, okay, so who's the... Uh, so Ty Wigginson, not in, but he will remain on the ballot. Who is the uh, next guy you voted for? Well, Jack, um, I'm not expecting too much from this one, but um, my second vote went to Jeff Baker. Okay, uh, did not I did not vote for Jeff Baker. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I think just, um, <clears throat> you know, the numbers, uh, not good. Um, let me try to find. I have so many tabs open here. I'm trying to find my Jeff Baker tab, but um, yeah, just like not a good player. Uh, uh, you know, I don't like. This is one of those things. Those conversations where it's like, is it fair to like, like call a guy bad if he was a career pinch hitter like because he never really they never really elevated him to more like he the most starts he had in one season was 104 with the uh, 08 uh rockies in his age 27 season so like arguably he never got a shot to start but like um you know there's also a reason probably why he was never named a starter um Jack, my reason for for picking Jeff Baker you know the same reason why the um you know the baseball writers didn't vote for was Roberto Alomar on his first ballot because he spit on that umpire in that <laughs> yeah. argument? My my reason that tif- tipped a, a vote to Jeff Baker's uh, hand is um, in uh, 2012. Um, let me just pull that up again. Uh, so in 2012, he was uh, I believe he was traded from the Cubs to the uh, Tigers. Yes, um, on August 5th. So there's a quote from him in an article uh, that says, uh, this is from, uh, what is this from? Uh, uh, From some Michigan newspaper or something. Uh, Newest Detroit Tiger, Jeff Baker, likened his fortunes uh, the last couple of days to receiving a, quote, get-out-of-jail-free card. And from the moment he entered Dodger Stadium on Sunday and saw the Cubs general manager, yeah, so whatever, like, um, he, yeah, he, he got traded, and, like, he said, like, he basically said that getting traded from the Cubs to the Tigers was a get-out-of-jail-free card. And to that, I say, Jeff Baker, you're a piece of shit, and, like, who, no one gives a shit about you to keep you in jail or to keep you on the roster or whatever. Like, 
who gives a shit what you think? Like, oh, you're unhappy that you're on the Cubs? You should be happy that you're on any roster. So if you could get traded off of the Cubs to the Tigers and you call it a get-out-of-jail-free card, well, great for you. I'll, I'll tell you what. No one in Detroit gave, gave a shit that they got you anyway. It's not like that. It's not like they won the World Series. Like, uh, like we could look at what the Tigers did that year. But, uh, Jeff Baker, I don't think you were the difference, like, you know, in the, ro- in the roster. If anything, they, they just, like, had to, like, you know – move like like clear locker space for you it's like all right we got another guy we got to take on it's like you know it's like when you're on the bus and like you're you're driving through rush hour traffic and the bus is packed and then you get to a bus stop and there's some asshole like one asshole at the bus stop waiting to get on it's like ah fuck now we got to stop and pick up this guy so jeff baker you're that fucking asshole who's trying to get on a crowded bus and get out of jail free card screw you can get the community chest you can get the fucking first uh, place in the beauty pageant i don't give a shit fuck you jeff baker you you're on my ballot for worst of fame uh you know i, I didn't expect him to, to make it in but i'm glad you're going to be on for next year too so so you can <laughs> sit around you can sit by your phone next year and wait for that phone call to see if you get in well jeremy um i i certainly agree that like jeff baker is not um is not at all good enough to be making comments like that like that's yeah. uh that's bs he's not he's not a good enough player to do that and hey you know what the hall of fame like they do people sometimes say like oh you know uh uh, the guy will the guy accomplished so much on the field like just let him in but the 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 baseball the writers who vote for the hall of fame are instructed to look at several criteria mm-hmm. you know not only like playing you know not only their playing days but also like how they upheld the integrity of the game did they uh you know were they good guys did they do a lot in the community uh etc so like for a guy like kurt schilling who's a borderline case it seems like that's hurt him um uh you know and, and i'm sure there's guys who you know they're uh their good, their good deeds in the community have helped them. Uh, but yeah, so, so I think that's, there's definitely something like that for this list, uh, where it's like, if a guy was just an, an asshole, uh, you know, that definitely <laughs> could, could be a reason that you would vote for him. Now, uh, you know, Jeff Baker, I, I don't think he's going to win, uh, rain delay theaters, Danny Amendola, uh, great guy award, but he doesn't sound like he's, he doesn't sound like he's a very good person. So, uh, just based on that, that newspaper quote. So I didn't know that Jeremy, thank you for letting me know he will stay on the ballot. So perhaps next year, uh, you know, I'll have a little bit more to chew on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, take a look to see if you said anything about the Brewers that could piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so uh, I believe I'm uh, I'm next, if I'm not not mistaken. Yep. Is that right, Jeremy? Yep. Okay, so uh, so I voted next for uh, uh, Jeff Supon. Bum 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 bum. Jeff Supon, congratulations. You are the second member of the Worst of Fame. Nice. I like it. Okay, cool. So we both we both voted for Jeff Supon. Um, and Jeremy, yes. in my opinion, Jeff Supon is uh, it's guys like him that we that we created this for. Um, just consistently yes. bad for a long time. And I don't think I mentioned this. Uh, maybe I did when we were going over his stats. But yeah, he pitched tw- uh, twenty six hundred innings, and his ERA was four seventy. So um, one of the reasons I didn't vote for Baker was, uh, uh, and there were a couple other guys uh, that I didn't vote for because of this, is that they just didn't have a real outsized impact on any of the teams that they were on. Um, uh, one one thing I look for when I'm voting for these is like, did the guy play a lot? Like, what, did, not only was he bad, but did he also play a lot on the teams he was on and negatively affect them? And yeah, I mean Jeff Supon, huge innings eater, played a ton. And he was always really bad. I think he's a perfect candidate for this. Yeah. Now, yeah, for sure. And man, I gotta say. So yeah, I mean, clearly, I voted for him as well. Um, <clears throat> I gotta say though, Jeff Supon was the 2006 NLCS MVP. 
Yeah, I uh, MVP of the 06. I believe it was 06 NLCS. Oh, and see, that's another thing, Jeremy. So yeah, he was the NL. He was the NLCS MVP, uh, and that was like the reason the Brewers signed him to like that ridiculous, like you know, three or four year, forty million dollar contract that they gave him. So like, and then he just completely sucked after that. Is he after that season? Uh, which was pretty average for him. He had a 4.12 ERA in 2006. Yeah, with the Brewers starting in 2007, 4.62 ERA. Next year, 4.96 ERA. Year after that, 5.29 ERA. And then in parts of 2010, he had a 7.84 ERA with the Brewers. So like that 2006 NLCS MVP fucked the Brewers. So like yeah, <laughs> Jeff Jeff Supon, um, you know, you done, as my friend <laughs> Keith Bass used to say. So uh, yeah, uh, that that. Jeff Supon's second guy in two Brewers, two former Brewers. I like I like it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, but yeah, that that career, and I I know we we throw out like win loss records, but um, <clears throat> even like some of the worst pitchers like on this list had a somehow managed to have a positive uh, win loss record for their career. So Supon being like minus six in the loss column. Uh, you know, I I, I, I kind of like it, and he has 470 ERA. I mean, it's impressive that this guy stuck around for for that long, and for that reason, um, he must be in the worst of fame. Indeed, Jeremy. How many votes do, do we have left to go over for you? Is it just one? Um, yes. Uh, or okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One more for me. All right. What do you got? Well, Jack, I voted for Jason Marquis. Dun, 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 dun. We have our number three guy, Jeremy. Uh, yes. I voted All for right. Jason Marquis as well. We've, we've been able to elect three guys in here. Um, so, yeah, tell me a little bit about why you voted for Marquis. Well, I mean, just kind of, you know, I, it's, it's luckily we're not, we're not assembling, even though as pitchers they both would have made it. But, like, it's a good thing we're not assembling, like, an all-time roster, you know, because, like, <laughs> if we, and we could only pick one person per, like, position because, like, it would be a damn hell tough of a time to like pick uh, between Jason Marquis and uh, Jeff Supon. I mean, they're just so like similar and uh, um, just, yeah, kind of the same reasons, like a 460 career ERA, 6.8 war uh, for his career. And I know for pitching, it's, it, it could be kind of slightly different, um, but stuck around for, for many years. Just, I, I have a, I'm, I'm hard pressed to find like one good year that Jason Marquis had. I mean, he was, he was an innings eater. He was a horse. I actually liked him as a cub, even though he had horrible numbers, the Cubs made the, the playoffs the two years he was with the team. Um, I like the guy. He's like a New York guy. He kind of talks like this a little bit. You know, I talked <laughs> about, he hit a grand slam in, in Shea stadium when I went to see the Mets play, uh, the Cubs. Uh, so I like the guy, but like it really, I mean, the numbers are just, they're not good. Like in 2004, he went 15 and seven. I guess it was, that wasn't even his first like full year of starting, but it's, he had, he went 15 and seven with the 371 ERA. That was like his best year. And like, yeah. And it's not even really that close. Um, he was just always kind of like a 500 pitcher always was in the fours and ERA, um, you know, and then some years there were there, it was worse than that, and uh, that's just who he was. He was a good hitter. That was the thing about Jason Marquis. Like he was a good hitter. So like sometimes you would like he would like get you back a couple runs because he would hit a home run or or drive in some runs. So like <laughs> I had <laughs> they should come up with a metric like ERA versus like you know offensive output for a pitcher and like sure like like weighted ERA or something or or batting dependent ERA or something. Um, 
and like you know maybe he would have shaved a run off of his ERA by his like offensive output but like yeah just um kind of yeah he like won a silver slugger like in uh 2005 um and he did make an all-star team in 2009 as a rocky for, for like for out of uh you know of all things um but but a guy just that stuck around for a long time and was just never really that great but yeah so for all those reasons is why i picked him nice jeremy yeah i i kind of struggled with the same thing as you did initially when i was voting i was like oh man like who who should i vote for supan or marquee but then i realized like you did that you don't have to vote for just one pitcher um yep. you can vote for two and i mean i you know I think it's appropriate since like half the guys on any on any given roster in the major leagues are pitchers that uh, I think it's great that we have two pitchers and, and one position player here. Um, yeah, I picked Marquis pretty much all the all the same reasons that you did. I actually hadn't looked at his batting. Um, uh, yeah, he, he seems like he was a pretty good hitter. He only hit, he hit, he hit 200 for his career and he had 35 doubles, two triples and five homers. So yeah, the guy could, the guy could rake a little bit. He wasn't Madison Bumgarner, but he was, uh, he was pretty good. But yeah, Jeremy, um, uh, that uh, those career numbers are bad. And uh, I think he deserves to be in the inaugural class for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, very nice. Uh, so, Jack, you have – I think we kind of like um, – you know, because by sheer, like, admission of my votes, um, you know, we're, we're out there. But you had threes too also. So, I guess – do you have one more left? Um, so, I, uh, I had voted for Bill Hall, Ty Wigginton, Jason Marquis, and Jeff Supon. So, oh, yeah, those okay, were my – those were my four. Um, a couple of the guys that I didn't vote for, um, uh, I think Nick Punto, I think I was just too disgusted uh, looking at his <laughs> stats, and I just didn't uh, I didn't vote for him. But, yeah, I didn't vote for guys like Mordecai and Kevin Elster and Baker just because, for the most part, they were they were reserves. And I did, um, I did give guys extra points for, like, uh, the impact that they had on their teams, um, which is why I made the uh, selections I did. Um, so, yeah, we do have a couple guys who are going to stay on the ballot. Uh, Wigginton is going to stay on the ballot. Jeff Baker is uh, also going to stay on the ballot. And uh, I think I think that's it as far as uh, I think everybody else is going to drop off. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's that sounds about right. And um, yeah, so pretty good. Um, we managed to yeah agree on three of them of our four picks. So that's that's pretty cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty happy with this class. I got it. I must say. Uh, yeah, me too, Jeremy. And, uh, you know, this is a yearly thing we can do uh, every year. There's going to be more guys um, coming on the ballot next year, guys who, who their last season was 2016. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll, uh, I mean, I, we both did extensive research on this, but I'm sure there's more bad players to be unearthed that we just missed. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Jack, real quick before we, before we sign off on this, um, what was your uh, thought process for not picking Corey Patterson? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. So, yeah, for, for me, for Corey, Corey Patterson was, uh, you know, while he was a, a massive disappointment, that was uh, something I think I mentioned with Bill Hall is like what, what, are the, what were really the circumstances for guys and like how much should you weigh that? Uh, obviously, Corey Patterson was a huge bust because he was drafted third overall in the first mm-hmm. round of the 98 draft. So in that sense, like he just never lived up to the potential that people thought he was going to have. But I think he had too many seasons that were like pretty decent to be uh, to be able to put him uh, there, regardless of how much potential he had. Um, I mean, 2006 with the Orioles, he stole 45 bases, was caught nine times. 2007, he stole 37 bases, caught nine times. Those seasons, he had 276 
and 269 respectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you've talked you've talked about on here in 2003 he had a really good first half of his season yeah. before he got injured. Um, uh, you know I, I would say that like for the most part when Corey Patterson did get a lot of playing time, uh, he was just kind of in an average, uh, maybe to sometimes below average player who had like, who had a a lot of different tools, like, you know, some power, uh, some speed, you know, he could hit usually 260 to 290 uh, when he was healthy. So for me, um, it just wasn't quite bad enough for what we were, what we were looking for. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Yeah. I, he, I, I wanted to go Patterson over Baker with my fourth pick, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, yeah, I guess maybe that, that's something to, to kind of shed a light on there. It's like you think you think Corey Patterson is is you know a prime candidate for the worst of fame, but then you look closer at a at a Jeff Baker or a Ty Wigington, and you're like, nope, like those guys should be in before <laughs> even a Corey, even a Corey Patterson. So that's that's what we're saying there, folks. All right, so yeah, and and we did. Uh, I did not know about the Jeff Baker thing, so we got a real good Jeremy rant uh, out of that, which was nice. <laughs> And, uh, you know, next year it'll be a long enough time that we'll have forgotten about it so we can re- we'll rehash all, all of that stuff the next time we, we do this uh, next season. Um, okay, Jeremy, so uh, with that... One, just real yeah. quick, Jack, one, one observation that I wanted to make, too, was just that um, there were, like, yeah, two Brewers, one former Cub, um, two former Cardinals. Um, so, so, you know, to say that uh, we didn't vote with our emotions uh, would, would maybe not be completely true but um but yeah there's uh there's something there's an observation there to be said and uh you know we'll just leave it at that well yeah i was going to say this is true jeremy perhaps we were we were too close to uh we were too close to it i don't know but uh th- then again like uh i will say that like the the two franchises that we're talking about here the brewers and cubs like for a really long time especially kind of in the era we were looking at like the 90s and the, the aughts um, you know, both of those teams were, were really bad for a long, for a long period of time, uh, which kind of lends itself to playing, uh, a bunch of uh, bums or like, you know, even Wigginton was on the Orioles for a long time. So like, you know, with bad teams, you're going to get some bums that are going to get a lot of playing time. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah, this was a success and, um, yeah, can't wait for next year. <laughs> All right, cool. So for Rain Delay Theater, I'm Jack Swakowski. And I'm Jeremy Dionisio. And we will see you next time. 